You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Not Quite Hollywood, our guest today, director Mark Hartley, offers the first detailed examination and celebration of Australian genre cinema of the 1970s and 80s. Not Quite Hollywood won both the 2009 Film Inc. Award and the Film Critics Circle Association Award for Best Documentary. It will begin screening Friday, July 31st at the New Art Theater in Los Angeles. Mark Hartley, welcome back to film school. Thank you very much. (laughs) How are you today? Very well. It's only been 20 years since I was at film school, so... Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm welcoming you back. What the heck? Yeah. So, so tell me, this is, this is a, a very interesting and strange film for me, too. How, how, when, when did your interest start in Australian genre films? Uh, when I was a kid growing up in Melbourne, uh, yeah. Australia. Um, Australia was a very strange place in the 70s because we embraced our art house films as our commercial films. Uh-huh. So things like Picnic at Hanging Rock and Getting of Wisdom, I guess, which your audiences would be familiar with, which would be considered art house films in any other country in the world, were really perceived as our mainstream films. And anything that wasn't that lyrical, kind of historical, kind of epic that we were making in Australia was considered as B-grade. Yeah. And so any kind of genre film in Australia was considered as B-grade. So they were totally dismissed. And um, I didn't really get an opportunity to see them until I discovered them late at night on television. And um, they're intriguing for me because they played like American movies, but or like the American movies that I loved, but they had um, Australian accents and Australian locations. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went to kind of try to investigate more about these films and found that, uh, you know, the critics had totally dismissed them. Uh, there wasn't really any kind of um, uh, reference to them in, in, our, in our history books on Australian cinema. And... Um, it just seemed to me early on that there was a huge, uh, you know, undiscovered, untold story there about a whole subsection of Australian cinema. And, um, you know, uh, cinema from around the world has been pretty well documented, and it seemed to me that, um, you know, Australian genre cinema was probably the last bastion of unexplored genre cinema, at least, anywhere in the world. Yes. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious, real quickly, um, did they play in Australian theatres? They there- did. Yeah. Were there Australian, I assume, I know there were from the film, Australian drive-ins, is that where? Yeah, they were, yeah. yeah. We had, a, we had a, a large, large, large number of drive-ins all across Australia, and that's where these films made their money. Yeah. Um, in Australia, there, was sort of, uh, there wasn't an acceptance of genre films, I have to tell you, because um, people kind of thought, why are we making American films? We should be making Australian films. So a lot of these films didn't really uh, do business in Australia. Mm-hmm. Early on, they did, obviously, with, um, with our um, sort of uh, sex romps because the audience was so starved of that kind of content at that time. But later on, when we graduated to horror films, and with the exception of Mad Max, our action films, none of them really found audiences in Australia, but they did find them around the world. Well, here in America, we had a, a drive-in movie culture as well that I yeah. un- was unfamiliar with, and I, I, I lived more or less on the coast. You were unfamiliar I, with it? I was not, I, well, I knew of them, but I didn't see them. I mean, I, I don't know if it <laughs> yeah. had to do with where I lived, but... There were some drive-ins, but I didn't go to see Ten Thousand Maniacs and yeah. the, and the, you know the Curse of the Mummy and all these. Well, but you're they were a Catholic, de- they were designed to be the drive-in. I, I saw um, Zapped and Creepshow on a double bill at the drive-in. I can remember that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but there was so um, what I'm my point is is there were a whole lot of films. Like, and I'm a big film person, and there were a whole lot of movies that I never saw and that I know were American-made that are very in in, ter- in terms of 
content similar to what you're describing. So I can understand why you, you didn't see them, at least from my perspective. I never saw Look, these. I, I'm also slightly too young to have seen them on the oh, first okay. place as yeah. well. That's yeah. part of it as well. And you're slightly um, too old. Mike. And I'm slightly too <laughs> old, apparently. <laughs> now, now, what I'm real curious about here is, is pre-1971, because there, th- this seems to be the, the great divide in, in Australian film culture. Uh, you had censorship going on there, and you talked about it seems like overnight things changed. Once they had the, could have an R certificate to create a film that had uh, stuff in it that I don't even know could have been showed in the States here in 1971, uh, what, what was going on before then? How repressive was this film culture? From what I understand, we were the, um, like the most repressed country in the world with the exception of um, you know, Ireland. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know... Reproduction statues uh, of the Statue of David were banned in Australia. <laughs> really? Is that, I'm I mean, not joking. People really? could be arrested for carrying Playboy in Australia in the 60s. It was that for... Wow. Oh, my God. And it's something that people of my generation just can't you know, fathom. But when, when um, the R certificate came in, which, which allowed you know, adult content on screen, it was just the floodgates opened. No kidding. People flocked to see anything that had any kind of subject matter in it that they couldn't see beforehand. Uh, a director called Brian Trenchard-Smith, who features quite prominently in the, in the documentary, mm-hmm. he made a documentary on venereal disease called The Love Epidemic, and <laughs> even that made a million dollars for drivers. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, that's really incredible to think about. That I mean, It, it sounds like within a, a, a very short amount of time, people were getting arrested for uh, carrying a Playboy one day, and and perhaps the next day you're you're going to theaters seeing films that are, are well, showing more full than frontal what, nudity. Yeah, I mean this is stuff that we couldn't get away with. You're right. Well, it's interesting Nathan. thing, having seen the um the, the the Inside Deep Throat documentary, I think it's very similar in terms of um you know how Deep Throat in America became a date movie at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we our our films weren't as graphic as that certainly, but. You know, they were considered couples movies going and seeing these, these, these low-budget sort of sex comedies. Mm-hmm. Now, you've uh, managed to uh, bring Quentin Tarantino on board for this, where, and, and his love of this genre of film just really shines through. Did you know that he had this love before you started the film, or how did that relationship work out? I've been working on the film for quite a while. I'm probably five years or so trying to get the finance for it, and um, I'd given up, actually. Right. And uh, I read an interview with, with Quentin where he spoke about how he, uh, he loved Australian genre cinema and mentioned a couple of films like Long Weekend and Road Games, both right. which are featured in the documentary. Yes. And, uh, and I also heard that on the set of Kill Bill, he'd screened Road Games to his cast and crew. So I'd given up, but I'd, I'd amassed this 100-page research document on, on Australian genre cinema. So I just found his assistant's email, tracked that down, and we sent it to him, and I just thought he'd be interested in reading it. And um, thankfully, we got an email back the next day saying, Quentin's read it from cover to cover, you know. What can he do to help you get this project up? All right. So we went across and shot an interview with him on spec, and we sort of ultimately used that to, to get our financing um, I think it helped international distributors once he came on board to know that there was some way that they could try to sell it into, into foreign markets. Now, how did that interview go? Was that shot like in a couple hours or did it were a couple of days? Or how- oh, no, we had, we had three and a half hours with him, just running off at the mouth uh, yeah. the whole time. And then there was half an hour where I bought in Brian Trenchard-Smith, who I knew he was a fan of, yes. and they just sat there and spoke about each other's careers. So it was... Um, it was pretty amazing, and uh, look, I, I thought I knew a lot about Australian genre cinema compared to most people, but it was quite miraculous yeah. what he knew. Um, <laughs> you know, he knew about Australian soap stars, what, what 
you know, films they'd appeared in. It was just, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and he does uh, seem uh, to have that encyc- well, encyclopedic mind about this stuff. By the way, he, you, he, there's a homage, if you will, to Australian uh, genre film making in uh, Kill Bill. Yeah. Absolutely. There is. There's also, in, if, you've, if you've seen uh, his Grindhouse episode, that when um, the stunt girl's on the front of the bonnet of the car, that's also straight from a, an Australian film called Fair Game. So, yes, he does wear his uh, influences on his sleeve. Yeah. I tell you, that, that, I didn't see the, the Australian version. I did see, uh, was it Death Proof? I can't remember which yeah. one it was. Yeah. Uh, and it, that, boy, that freaked me. I, couldn't, I, I had a hard time watching that <laughs> because I just did. It was really hard to watch that. And I can, he did a very effective job of, scaring me uh, uh, during that sequence. But uh, we're speaking with Mark Hartley. The film is not quite Hollywood. The wild, untold story of Ozploitation. I'll say. Now, th- this is a screening uh, coming uh, up on Friday, July 31st at the New Art Los Angeles. That's beginning that day. And you're going to be there. Are, are you ready for us? Are you ready for the questions? I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm bringing along... Uh, Philippe Mora, who directed Howling Three, The Marsupials, and Camille. Oh, all right. <laughs> like that. So I'm sure Philippe will be able to uh, handle anything that I can't. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Cheryl Rickson will also be there, who um, most people in America probably know from being in used cars, but uh, she appeared in um, some very early Australian sexploitation films, so she's, she's very good fun as well. Now, was, is there, there's a, was there a, sort of the early uh, uh, genre films that really hooked you, that, uh, that really got your interest? you have some favorites? It was the ones that were really good, like... Uh, I know Patrick had some kind of profile in America. It's about a, a comatose killer with telekinetic powers, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And um, and Man from Hong Kong, um, a film with Jimmy Wang Yu and George Lazenby, uh, was was like an Australian kung fu movie. And the action that's still, it's it's quite a you know incredible when you see it again. These films um, you know have aged pretty well. Yeah. I have to say, look, the, the film doesn't document just good films. There are lots of bad films and really bad films in there too but I think once you know the stories behind the films they're all interesting in their own way yeah, yeah. well that That's was the one where this, this this whole documentary so fascinating I think it's not I mean it's about the films but it's also about the players in the films and, and the way they were getting along and how these films were being made and, and what people thought of them and sure. how, how little they thought of some and how much they thought well, of people are pretty frank in it That's, I mean that's a good thing about it I didn't want to make some puff piece and I think it's pretty irreverent and pretty honest and yes. um Look, I know as soon as you mention the word documentary, people turn off their radios all over town. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we try to do... It isn't a soul-searching study of the African yak, that's for sure. Yeah. It, it's just trying to, um, you know, capture this really crazy, insane, explosive time in Australian yeah. cinema. And hopefully, um, you know, the stories of Dennis Hopper being pronounced legally dead because of the amount of blood and alcohol in his yeah. body and, you know, stories about, you know, them putting real mice in marsupial werewolf outfits and all that kind of stuff enough to you know, keep it interesting. Yeah, that, that might have been the strangest thing I've ever seen on, uh, on, on uh, documented. Yeah. I got, I got, you know, just going back, because speaking of interesting stories, uh, the, the, one, the man from Hong Kong, uh, the, the, yeah. uh, the actor, and I've just said his name and I'm sorry. George Blazenby? No, no. The, uh, oh, Jimmy Wang Yu. Yeah. How much he loathed his, <laughs> the, uh, the co-star, or the, basically just even being there, the leading was, lady, the leading lady, yes. and I mean it was. It, it isn't often you hear in documentaries people just say, you know, uh, you know, he was the worst person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you know, no, he, no. Uh, if anything, that you you often hear that just the opposite, just yeah. because it's it's part of the culture of of Hollywood to say all these nice things, even when you do loathe somebody, but when you do say it. Now, did you have a, a favorite uh, interviewee? Was there somebody that you really uh, you oh, know, I... uh, attached to in this? That really, you think captured what was going on? 
Oh, look, there were some people that I was really keen to meet. I'd always, being a, a, a Bond fan, I really loved Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So it was a great thrill to meet Lazenby, you know, Australia's James Bond. Uh-huh. And he was, uh, he was a lot of fun and also very happy to tell the stories about him getting set on fire and discovering what happens when you do let yourself be set on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you burn. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, goodness. Wow. Yeah, th- there's some uh, remarkable, remarkable things that happen in the making of these films, too. And, and, uh, Tarantino did have a great point when he said there's there's a, a fetishist aspect to the way you shoot uh, automobiles. Uh, and, and the bit in there right after that where you're going on uh, showing just how much they took their lives into their own hands and how they were able to shoot this uh, these chases, they just went out and shot them. There was no clearance. There was well, you have to understand, Australia didn't have a film industry for a long time uh-huh. there. I mean, we sort of lost our film industry you know, in the 50s and didn't, or in the 40s, actually, and didn't get yeah. it again until the 70s. Yeah. So we were really inventing the industry from the ground up at that point, and there were no rules. Uh-huh. And so I like to think if there were rules, these guys would have broken them anyway. But uh-huh. they just went out and shot stuff. They didn't care how they got it in the can, so long as it was you know, in focus, they were happy. And yeah. in those days, if you ran someone down with a car... You wouldn't take him to the hospital. You'd give him a can of beer and say, stand <laughs> further away from the car on the second take. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah, the stuff about Dennis Hopper. I mean, there, there was a Go period, I Dennis knew that time. Dennis Hopper had gone through a stretch <laughs> in which they didn't expect him to live. I didn't know he had spent time in Australia. This was a revelation to well, me. This is, just, um, this is just after the last movie where he literally couldn't get a job anywhere. Right. And when that happens to actors, they always ultimately end up in Australia. <laughs> and, wow. uh, or Mexico. And, um, wow. And, uh, yeah, Dennis came out and did a, a Bush Ranger film called, um, called Mad Dog Morgan. And, yeah, he was, he was drug and coke and alcohol-fueled for the entire shoot. And they pronounced him legally dead. Yeah, he, he, um, <laughs> he got into a car and, and was pulled over by the cops, still in his Bush Ranger outfit, replete with guns. And they, they <laughs> took a breath test, and he was so far off the scale, they pronounced him legally and clinically dead because of the amount of alcohol he had in his body. He was taken to... Uh, to the to thrown in jail. The next day, he was taken before the um, the judge, who told him he was never allowed to drive a car in the state of Victoria, and also never legally allowed to ever again be a passenger <laughs> in a car in Victoria. And uh, he was escorted to the airport, and that's how he left Australia that time. I think that's a pretty good way to go. And yeah. they had to f- finish the film without him. Because I assume they were pretty close to being done. Because yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the other thing is is. Um, uh, you got an interview with him, or was that a, from an, a clip that no, you no, found? No, 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 Dennis, um, yeah, it was quite, a friend of mine had made a film um, a couple of years ago with Dennis, so he put us in touch with him, and Dennis was happy to um, to try to recall what happened on that <laughs> shoot. He oh. needed a, a, a little bit of prompting, I have to admit. But, um, <laughs> well, he, uh, looks every, he looks every bit uh, of what we're describing in this film. I mean, I know his character is kind of this rough, out-back out kind of guy, but he looks every bit... Well, like a man on um, the edge. Philippe, the director of, um, of Mad Dog, said that uh, he got a phone call from Francis Ford Coppola wanting to screen the film, and he took it around to Coppola's house and screened it for him, and that's how Hopper ultimately got um, Apocalypse Now. Because yeah, the, photog- the mad photographer. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Wow. You know, I've got to say, in, in all the interviews, the, the person I, I really took a liking to is a, a Barry Humphreys, and I wasn't even aware of the person before, but he does seem to have a really... Um, we had a great sense of humor, yeah. and looking back on his life, the way and and looking back on this film, was, was is he as uh, as as bright and witty and charming as uh, as he comes off in the film? Oh, for sure. Well, Humphreys, uh, people who don't know Barry Humphreys, is is an 
absolute icon in Australia and England, uh-huh. uh, mainly through he, he plays Dame Edna. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Who I think you must know because he was... Yes, he, I do. Yeah. What, what a fool I am to even say that then. But but nevertheless, I've never seen him out of drag, out of, I guess. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny, no one considers him, uh, you know, a drag act in Australia. They they consider Dame Edna a real person. It's quite <laughs> strange. They, but Barry is incredibly smart, and you really... I've, I've interviewed Barry a few times, um, and thankfully he likes me, but you wouldn't want to say the wrong thing around him because he would cut you down. He's so incredibly witty and smart. Uh-huh. Well, he sure comes off well. I mean, in, in, in both as Dame and in, and in this film, he comes off as a very bright... And uh, he's kind of the... Uh, the Greek chorus, in some way, to me in this film, he just the, the yes. things he says, and it's just yeah, a lot of no. fun. Well, he's certainly great at, at setting up the, the '70s for us, and it was interesting. It was very important to me actually because I thought if if people were watching this film through a 2009 mindset, everything in the film would be offensive. Yeah, and you really need to kind of know what was happening in the '70s to sort of see that it was liberating a lot of the stuff that you would find quite you know questionable now. Oh. And he he certainly helps to um to. To, to set a good sort of seventies prism to watch the film through. Yeah, if not for that, for you have all these great interviews and in, interspersed. If not for that, it, there'd be a lot of wincing when you're watching some of these films or some of these clips because they're they're really, I mean, offensive. Yeah, some of them are extraordinarily offensive, well, the, but some of them are very charming. Yeah. And and it's it's great to hear people say that that you know the one of their uh, most memorable uh, film moments was was mixing uh, uh, vomit. Well, Chandra, as we refer to it. Yes, Chandra. Yeah, the, the Chandra down under, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. When we were um, trying to get finance for the film, a lot of the, um, the, the funding bodies said, who on earth is going to want to talk to you about these films? Mm-hmm. And we found practically everyone who was involved in them. And, and it was really great to, to find that most people, well, basically no one was ashamed of them. They're all very fond of them mm-hmm. because it was an important part in their careers. And we're talking to people like John Seal who won an Oscar, um, uh, and uh, George Miller, who recently won an Oscar, and also Russell Boyd won an Oscar, and they're, they're waxing lyrical about these times when they were shooting these, you know, gonzo films. Yeah, George Miller is a terrific uh, film director. He's really uh, evolved into a, a, a really a remarkable filmmaker, in my mind. So, well, I, yeah, I think you had the talent then. Yeah, it's just yeah. a, the, the, the genre, you weren't, uh, yeah. you weren't going to drive it. Well, in a lot of ways, you go back to the, uh, the, the, cor, um, the cor, um, when it, cor, Roger Corman yeah. era. I mean, that's very similar. It was, a, bre- it was a, a, a training ground for a lot of filmmakers, a lot of actors. A lot of people got, got their first breaks in these films, and, uh, as well as the, these uh, Australian films as well. So it, it's good to see. You need this kind of raucous rambunctious kind of uh, film industry in, in order for people to get these well, kind you, of you opportunities. Need, you, need to make, you, need, you need diversity of slate. You need to make yeah. all kinds of things. Right, right. And I'd always thought that, that we'd, we'd focused a lot of our history and our documentation of our history on our more worthy films. And you can't have the worthy films without the commercial down and dirty films. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's interesting about George Miller. George is about to start Mad Max 4 Fury Road, which he is shooting uh, in... 3D, which could be the most incredible wow. film experience of all time. So now, uh, now, you know, hopefully, hopefully that will really, re, you know, kickstart genre filmmaking in Australia. I see. 
Well, Mark, this, uh, yeah, now you're going to be at the, let's, again, remind our listeners, we're speaking with Mark Hartley. The film is not quite Hollywood, a wild, untold story of exploitation. You're going to be at the uh, theater on New Art. New Art Theater this Friday. I'll be for New Art on, on the Friday the 31st and yeah. also the Saturday Okay. Uh, at the 7.30 and 10 p.m. screening. So yeah. whatever questions people have about Crazy Town Under Cinema, I'll try to answer. Yeah, it's going right. to be, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And congratulations on all the success. Did you have any idea going into these film festivals that you'd be able to uh, score with audience as well? Obviously, you did very well with uh, on, the, on the circuit. Look, it's, it's been quite miraculous. I, I yeah. thought, you know, I, I didn't know how it would be taken. I didn't know how it would cross over. Here's a documentary on obscure Australian films. Yeah. And um, I think part of the appeal for it is that people get to discover films for the first time when they're watching this documentary. And, and if anything good's come out of it, I know a lot of people have walked away with a long list of films that they're trying to track down now. Yeah, yeah that's true. Absolutely. If that's the case, you know, I've done my job. Well, uh, Mark Harley, uh, we really appreciate you joining us here on Film School, and good luck to you on this and all your future projects. Pleasure. Thanks very much. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.